Has something popped up, Lisa, that says we are recording? Um, hang on. Recording has started. So you're Lisa Edwards. I'm Catherine Gwynn, and we both work at Buckinghamshire Archives. And this is Archive of the Month, a podcast about one item from our collection every month. And it is the 8th of January 2021, and I'm at my home, and Lisa, you're at your home. So we are recording this uh, in a very socially distanced manner. The archive of the month for January is a photo from 1991 of a pub called the Alcatraz that was on Cambridge Street in Aylesbury. This photo always catches my eye when I'm scrolling through Aylesbury photos because the pub is bright yellow and it's a pretty unusual name. I don't know if pubs are like boats whereby it's unlucky to change the name of a pub, but this pub used to be called the Windmill. And what makes the Alcatraz different is that it was an alcohol-free pub. As it's January and I'm attempting dry jam, I thought this might be a good launch pad for us to talk about temperance. And Lisa, I know this is something that in your own research you've been doing. The temperance movement starts in 1829 and it isn't a cohesive, centralised movement. There's lots of organisations which jump on board and emerge and it's quite a fragmented thing, but it's a big social movement. And at the time, running up to 1829 and beyond, um, alcoholism and the misuse of alcohol was a big social problem, often associated with poverty. I mean, something I found out recently was that pubs weren't licensed until 1914. So alcohol was very freely available and was at the root of a lot of domestic abuse and violence. I don't know if you've discovered in your research many examples of that. The link to poverty, the lots of pauperism, apparently as a result of levels of alcohol were being consumed by the working classes. But I also found that in 1830, there was a group, the Preston Working Men's Teetotal Society was formed. And that was without any help from or support from the church or the local government. But they wanted to do something. They wanted to try and improve their their working lives, their daily lives. That's very early on in the movement. It's really interesting, the the split between the sexes. So in our archives, we've got uh, records of the Sons of Temperance from High Wycombe, National British Women's Total Abstinence Union. Often there seems to be groups that are aimed at supporting men through abstinence and groups that were supporting women through abstinence, but also maybe supporting their husbands, their partners, their family. It's also interesting, though, that that women were so involved from the beginning, but women were trying to protect women because if the men weren't drinking, then the women weren't being impacted on by the results of their drinking. But there's one of the beliefs, though, that I I read about was that they said that women suffer because men drink, but they also suffer because they have fallen under the alcoholic spell. So their men drank, so they in turn drank. There's a a really interesting murder that I was investigating this week, and it dates to, I think it's the 1820s, 1830s um, in Buckland, near Aylesbury. And it's a case whereby two friends had been, two two local farmers, two friends had been out drinking at the new inn. Between them, they consumed 12 pints of beer and five glasses of gin, unmixed gin. At the end of the evening, they staggered out And they're the best of friends, they're neighbours, they got on really well, they never had any quarrel. But somehow, one managed to murder the other on the way home. 
thinking uh, in a, a fit of paranoia that his friend was someone else and had been sent to kill him. So he he murdered him. He refused to defend himself in court, but did say, I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't been drunk, something to that effect. So the Labour Party, well, no, the, 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 the Socialist Party, when they were looking at this, they said that the levels of alcoholism was growing in the working classes as a result of the Industrial Revolution because it changed the way people worked, the way people lived. They were then often crowded into inner cities and working in an appalling condition in factories and the mines without secure tenure of work or housing. There was poor hygiene, lack of education, and so the poverty led people to turn to drink to escape their lives, not necessarily that the drink caused the poverty, but they were already poor, they were already paupers, and the alcohol was a way of taking them away from that. And there was nowhere to go. There's no television, no way of entertaining yourself. So it seems logical that people would gravitate to pubs. Yes. Women were then at the mercy of, of alcohol in, in that they didn't know they would be able to manage without any money. And then they don't know what their husband is going to do when he comes home if he's been drinking. As time moved on, they realised that if they could give them an alternative, if they could go somewhere else, like you say, somewhere else, something to do, then that would take away some of the problems that two ladies in London created space for the men to go to. And that way, they couldn't drink alcohol, but there were classes for them. They, they could have tea. But it meant that the women were being helped because they weren't having to face the consequences of men coming back considerably drunk. Perhaps now is a good time to bring in Buckinghamshire's own hero of the temperance movement. Yes, from a tiny little village. Stephen Shirley, he was born in 1820 in Wormingham and he was the son of a tailor. He became involved with the temperance movement in 1840 and he formed the United Kingdom Band of Hope Union in 1855. By the time he passed away, there were 22,000 societies covering all of the UK and he died in 1897. So, you know, between 1855 and 1897, suddenly there were like 22,000 societies. He and his family moved from Buckinghamshire down to the south coast was going to be apprenticed as a tailor like his father and then he moved on to London to do other things but he used to come back to Aylesbury he used to come back to Buckinghamshire he used to attend the um, congregational church in Hailes actually and it's interesting because he actually opened a temperance hotel in 1855 in Hanover Street in Long Acre in London and then he moved it to Queen Square in Bloomsbury in 1857. And no alcohol or tobacco was to be consumed on the premises. He also was a writer and he published pamphlets called Our National Sinews. But it's amazing that from a tiny little parish, this gentleman was born and created this huge movement Yes, I, I didn't know about him at all before you mentioned it. I had heard of uh, the Band of Hope movement. But yeah, that was that's, that's incredible that we've got a little claim on that. Uh, I bet he's in the Register of Baptisms. He will be, yeah. He was baptised on the 16th of July, 1820, son of Michael, a tailor, and Catherine. 
we should say here that temperance hotels weren't just in London. They grew out this idea of giving people somewhere else to go other than a pub. We know in Buckinghamshire there were temperance hotels in Buckingham, in Chesham, in Wickham, in Wendover. We have deeds and things related to some of these and photographs of some of these establishments as well. One of them, we have a, a wonderful photo of Chesham. I don't think it's the Temperance Hotel. I think it's a tea house, but they advertise the fact that they sell they sell Cops beer, which was invented as a, an alternative to beer. It was the first alcohol-free beverage. I imagine it tastes somewhat like, I don't know, the alcohol-free beer you get today. Yeah, possibly, yeah. What was common amongst a lot of these organisations is that they would encourage you to sign a pledge you're putting your X on the pledge and you are committing to to not drink alcohol. And we have some registers of those pledges. And then there would be regular meetings, sometimes associated with church, sometimes not, to try and sort of encourage people to, to keep on the, the straight and narrow. They had to make them more interesting than the pub. So they had musicians as well come in, temperance musicians and the temperance bands to play the music. So it would be a jolly affair. You would go to the hall, the church or wherever it was, and you'd have music and you'd have entertainment, just not the alcohol. Rather than the stick of saying you mustn't drink alcohol, it was the carrot almost. It was encouraging people, it was giving people incentives. You've done a little bit of research into the, the large temperance festivals that were held in Hartwell House. I love it. The Hartwell Peace, Temperance and Bond of Universal Brotherhood Festival. Fantastic. And the first festival they had was held in Hartwell Park on the 2nd of August, 1841. And this was after an initial gathering of Friends of the Temperance Movement in the Hall of the Mansion that Dr Lee of Hartwell House was persuaded to let people have a larger gathering in the park. Although I do believe that they weren't expecting the number that they got. Because first, the first one in 1841, um, you had music from the Royal Tame and Long Crendon bands. And they'd actually had a setting for the first first group of people, for 500 people. And then it started to rain. And yet still the crowds came. So Dr Lee opened up the Egyptian hall to accommodate the those caught in the downpour. And still they came. And so they had thousands of people turn up and they weren't expecting that many. But it was tea at Hartwell House. His opening speech, Dr Lee talks about the great moral revolution taking place within the working classes by a total abstinence of intoxicating liquors. Dr Lee was clearly a, an advocate uh, of the movement himself. Yes, absolutely. The historian for Aylesbury, Robert Gibbs, he wrote that that water was abundant due to the terrible weather and the people flocked to the cafeteria. Yeah, in 1842, the second party had 5,000 people attend. Wow. And Dr David Livingston attended with his wife and brother in 1857. They have different key speakers every year from all sorts of walks of life. Dr Lee always opens the, the festival. And in 1860, he was talking about a report written by somebody called Dr Farr in 1858 on the deaths resulting from alcohol. He said apparently 712 people died in 1858 from intemperance and delirium tremens but I mean it, it wasn't just there it was I mean they had festivals in Tring Park in High Wycombe at the Dashwood Estate and festivals were held twice a year I believe at um, Hartwell 
until he died in 1866. You mentioned that there were speakers who'd come and address this, these, uh, these festivals. What sort of things were they talking about? I think it was just really to educate people. So if you carry on drinking, if you go back to the demon drink, then you will end up very ill. The fact that they had preachers who would, would come and talk about the great gains being made from not drinking. People's lives were, they had more money, they were healthier, so they were able to do other things. It's funny you say that. I was looking at the website for Dry January, which is run by a charity called Alcohol Change. Their argument for why you should do Dry Jan connected to exactly those things. You'll have more money in your pocket and you'll feel better. It's amazing that hundreds of years apart, those those uh, arguments are still current. Absolutely. The working men's clubs that were created in the 19th century, they were created by people that had money. And they were fashioned along the lines of gentlemen's clubs because they were the people that attended gentlemen's clubs. And like the Victoria Club in Aylesbury, that was one. It was a place where men could go and read books. There were classes for them, but there weren't any alcohol. They could have tea and hot chocolate, but no alcohol. I mean, a lot of this, I'm sure, came from a good and philanthropic place. No, absolutely. But do you think there's also a slightly cynical element in that these wealthy gentlemen who are funding these working clubs, they were probably losing a lot of man hours to alcoholism, people who both turned to turn up to work but couldn't, or were causing problems on the job. There was a bottom line to it as well. There was that. Yes. Yeah. We we move on to the uh, start of the 20th century. In the run-up to World War One, temperance movements are still going strong. We have a, a lot of records for different temperance bodies up till about 1914. And I suppose at this point, you've got a lot of the men who would have been attending these meetings go and serve in World War One. I. I get the impression at this point there's a slight downturn, especially as in 1918, there is a more universal, there is a, a wider franchise of, of, of people who can vote. So that kind of the need of the, the idea that the working class need to improve themselves in order to get the vote, that, that kind of push has gone. And also you see a greater intervention from a government level. You see um, drinking establishments. Licensing starts in 1914. Mm-hmm. So you're getting greater uh, greater oversight. I think that after World War One, before World War Two, the, the, seem, the, the movement seems to, to drop off. But not completely. We've got records for a group in Princess Risborough who are called the National British uh, Women's Total Abstinence Union. And their branch didn't wrap up until 1981. Things did continue, but it was not maybe the big social movement that it had been. Interesting, because like after World War One and World War Two, you had men that were so terribly scarred mentally and physically that they were turning to drink because that was the only way they could cope with what they'd been through. So it's interesting that it drops off a bit, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, I think we start to see church attendance kind of drop off throughout the the 20th century as well. So a lot of the temperance movement where it was run through, I know the Methodist Church in particular and other nonconformist churches, but also the Church of England had temperance organisations within it. All of this makes the Alcatraz, an alcohol-free pub in the 1990s in Aylesbury, seem like a bit of an outlier to the temperance movement. And we don't know much about the Alcatraz, who set it up or why. As I said earlier, it had been 
previously a pub called the Windmill, which I'm I'm told was a very old fashioned sawdust on the floor kind of a, a boozer. We don't know how long the Alcatraz lasted for. I've been told uh, roughly it was open for about a year. Should we wrap it up there, Lisa? Have you got anything yeah. else you want to say? I don't drink because I, I don't like the taste. Not that I don't like drink. When you say to people now you don't drink, people don't really think anything of it. But like 20 years ago, you don't drink. Why don't you drink? And you mm. feel pressured to drink. But I mean, I, I don't drink. Not no, because I think- I'm part of a temperance movement. I just don't like the taste. There is a lot more education about health. what's a healthy relationship with alcohol yeah. and what's not. And go back 100, 200 years ago, of course, that didn't exist. But interestingly, in London, in some of the major cities around the UK, alcohol-free bars are coming back. There's a a new alcohol-free pub opened in London, um, I think, in 2020. We're going to have a a wee list of temperance records, a summary of temperance records in our collection, just in the, the notes accompanying this podcast. And if anyone's interested in anything we've talked about, just drop us a line at archives at buckinghamshire.gov.uk. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's nice to see you. And you. (laughs) See you again soon. Yes. (laughs) How do I stop recording?